What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Dune Not Enter podcast, where today we stare right into the mouth of a maker as it swirls up the vortexes of spice. I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and joining me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. What's up, guys? And Nolan Zhang. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. And this is chapter 42 of Dune, and I think episode 53, 54 of the Dune Not Enter podcast. 55, Wow, okay. Um, again, I'm having trouble with my numbers, so um, bear with me. Um, but yeah, so uh, this is a rather exciting chapter. I think more exciting than all the conversation ones we've had in the last few right, mm-hmm. the last few chapters. So um, this will be a fun discussion. But before that, I think it'll also be fun discussing um, what's going on in our lives. So uh, what's up with y'all? Well, this week's been a lot this weekend, like just yesterday. Uh, firstly, I won a debate tournament, so that was pretty good. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. But secondly, uh, after debate tournament, we went out to see my friend. Uh, we were hosting a surprise birthday, not birthday party, a surprise college acceptance party for my friend who gone to UT Austin. So her Ooh. family wanted to like invite us over, and like we went to Grimaldi's, and we like had to, we had a good time at City Center. So it was just nice to have like as a closing night. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds exciting. What major did she get into? Uh, I think she was doing comms and minors in international business because she wants to do like business stuff around the world. So I'm happy for her, I guess. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> that's great, honestly. Yeah, that's really like, exciting. Comms, it's okay. <laughs> I was like, only athletes take comms. And she's like, I don't get it. I was like, of course you don't get it. It's like, never mind. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any comms majors out there, but... It's yeah. okay. Comms is like... I like the idea of calm. But... Yeah, it, it just really depends on what career track you go to. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. although I, I can't say I'm too familiar with it as a major, but um, yeah. I I'm mean, just, I'm just bad at communicating if y'all can't tell. <laughs> I mean, yeah. same here, but this we're whole, learning. This whole podcast is just a way for us to practice our communication, right? Yeah. <laughs> y'all can yeah. roast me in the comments or in the personal email, me struggling. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yep. All right. Yes. Cool. Um. So let's just get into the book then. So, uh, Nolan, why don't you take it away with the epigraph? Okay. So this week's epigraph reads: You cannot avoid the interplay of politics within an orthodox religion. This power struggle permeates the training, educating, and disciplining of the orthodox community. Because of this pressure, the leaders of such a community inevitably must face that ultimate internal question. To succumb to complete opportunism as the price of maintaining the rule or risk sacrificing themselves for the sake of, a, of the orthodox ethic from Muad'Dib the religious issues by the princess Irulan. So this is actually really interesting because it's just from the book Muad'Dib the religious issues. So it actually seems that Paul did have his fair share of problems with religion, right? We kind of suspected this because of the whole, like he, he's like, it's afraid of jihad. However, what I am surprised about is that like he ended up writing about it you know what i mean because like i kind of thought that the reason behind these books documenting paul's life like is the like they exist because of the over glorification of paul by the fremen people and by princess ireland but like by history himself however like i'm surprised that like he himself is critiquing what kind of elevated paul to his high status in the first place among the fremen which is like the whole religious aspect of it and they're like whole religious center society in a way uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like super interesting well, I think it's since it's Paul, he just wants a more accurate representation of what actually happened. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Paul's all about accuracy. 
and when people want to learn about him uh maybe they just want to know the whole truth and what sort of terrible purpose or terrible process that he went through yeah Mm -hmm. i could definitely see that Mm -hmm. but also like discussing the actual epigraph now he also kind of basically discusses the idea of theocracy right and like how it's possible like in the fremen society to have a secular church and state not really church because not the christian but like you get what i mean like religion and state yeah when like the religion is so kind of traditionally ingrained into a fremen's daily life because like we see all the ritual ceremonies it's just like such a part of their culture in a way like the intersectionality does force leaders of the fremens to kind of choose between relying on coincidental opportunities and claiming that as like part of like part of the religion or like, mm-hmm. like they're like the desert speaking to them or they kind of have to how i interpret it was like sacrifice their um, integrity or morality rather than like their lives in order to like get stuff done right because they have to abide by the religious orthodox guidelines which is kind of restricting mm-hmm. in my opinion i feel like yeah i mean it reminds me of the chinese mandate of heaven a little bit you know kinda, where yeah. where rulers kind of assumed you know th- theocratic power and they mm-hmm. use that to kind of fulfill their own advantages or they used that to kind of fulfill what they wanted or control people right so i can kind of see that here considering the fremen are kind of a a worshipful religion as in mm-hmm. as in they you know all they really respect kind of the the top hierarchy of the rulers that are also you know uh religious leaders so um so i can definitely kind of see see that happening i am afraid for paul though because like like in china like the mandate of heaven as soon as there's like an earthquake or something screwed up like the war then they would basically be like the heavens have spoken we must depose of this current emperor and then they mm-hmm. just get rid of them right yeah yeah um but i mean i don't i don't think that's happening here yet well first mm-hmm. off nothing terrible has happened but also you know we could kind of see what's happening with Stilgar right now, who's still technically their rightful ruler, right? And how mm-hmm. so many people want Paul to throw him off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so really interesting epigraph um, about religion, which is, of course, a large factor at play in this work. Um, but uh, yeah, so before we get into the bulk of the chapter, we'll do the quotes section. So uh, Fillmore's usually have the first quote. Okay, my quote for this week is, Usul, the companion of my siege. Him I would never doubt, Stilgar said. But you are Paul Muad'Dib, the Atreides Duke, and you are the least in al the voice from the outer world. These men I don't even know. Mm. Quite I don't definitive. Know either. Yeah, we don't know them either. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, so my quote goes, Now Usul speaks, Stilgar said. Usul thinks Fremen. So, simple-minded yeah pretty sure uh, yep. yeah there's it's that collective <laughs> collective conscious my quote this week is and i am a fremen born this day here in the habanya erg i have had no life before this day i was as a child until this day mm, interesting so he is reborn Secondly on this born. day i yep. know kind of like baptism almost but like not uh-huh. <laughs> oh maybe kind of well i mean kind of, a, he a was a, i think herbert was buddhist so yeah perhaps but yeah. he still has a, ref, a lot of references yeah, so, to different so there's religions. like reincarnation yeah. yeah yeah every religion kind of have like a mm-hmm. rebirth thing yeah um cool yeah so cool quotes uh but let's 
dive into the chapter. So we start the chapter in Paul's point of view as he awaits the largest worm there ever was or ever will be. Um, maybe a bit of an exaggeration. We don't know that. But he uh, reminds himself to not be like a smuggler, impatient and jittering, and rather to be like part of the desert. So that almost reminds me of you know the Bene Gesserit thing. Oh, don't be animal and and impatient yeah. and uh, giving into your animalistic instincts rather be human right so i don't know because i didn't realize paul thought so lowly of the smugglers um considering well you know Tuwix seemed like a chill enough guy right he seemed to have That's some true. some integrity and and as we know um Tuwix's son as at least has some education right it's he mm-hmm. you know proposed some good plans to gurney well what paul doesn't know is that gurney is with the smuggler so there's kind mm-hmm. of a uh, some dramatic irony there, right? But um, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize Paul thought so lowly of them. Yeah. Also, another aspect I feel like we must understand is that he isn't the same Paul anymore as like Paul Trades, even though I know like in the in the in the quote section kind of hinted that he is a new person. Basically, later on this chapter, it says that the old Paul has gone, and I think in many ways that's true. So like his old way of holding people to like the same standard is gone. And now he's seeing them as a new self, as like the new Paul of the desert. And as a Fremen context, the smugglers just don't seem that cool when all the Fremen are like, you know, like <laughs> taking down Harkonnen ships and like riding sandworms, you know, like for the smugglers. Yeah. And also, I think another reason why he looks down on them so much is because they just do anything on money or That's for true. money. And then the Atreides is all about loyalty. Like even if you're tempted by, I mean, women, money or whatever, they just still stay loyal to the Atreides, uh, Atreides name, but yeah, I guess the smugglers don't have that. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So even though they have the same goals, it's for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Yeah. Yep. And something interesting to note is that Stilgar says, or when he talks to Paul that about how he has ridden the little ones, which is saying that he has ridden the little sandworms before, and not this time he's riding the big one for the trial. And um, it, they also said they were bred for the seed and water of life. But something I wanted to point out is like that they breed worms. I mean, mm-hmm. that's so strange to think about considering that the worms are so strong. And I wonder how they yeah, got their hands on the sandworm eggs. Like, or do they even lay eggs? I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But Wait, do worms lay eggs? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I feel like that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So worms in our planet do lay eggs. Um, so, I mean, I'm assuming Whoa. sandworms do the same, so there'd be some pretty massive eggs. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy to think that, you know, the Fremen, considering how much respect they had for the worm, you know, they're like, oh, bless the worm and, you know, and all that. Right. But I mean, they're breeding them, right. Which is kind of weird, but, um, so somehow, you know, they must keep the worms tame and they have to keep their size down. Uh, unless they grow really slowly or they just abandon them after they hit a large enough size, you know. So there's yeah. a lot of difficulties in the way of raising worms. So I don't um, know exactly how they do it, but that's just really interesting to know that. Um, I don't know if they're performing scientific experiments or something or or uh, just kind of or as like a religious thing or I don't know. They're going that's... through artificial selection by breeding. Oh, yeah. I feel like... Since they did mention that they do use it to make this water of life, which is what Jessica drank and made like the entire Fremen community feel kind of connected to the spices in a way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do use it for like the religious ceremony. And, like, like that's like partly part, like it's probably like 
some way associated to a spice somehow, and somehow like associated with the spice's power. I don't really know what makes it like have the connected power among the Fremen community, like the hive mind. But there's something in the worms that they need them for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Well, at least it's the water of life, right? But yeah, like, I don't know if it's also the spice or something else that's causing this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I want to note was that, like, from reading Stilgar's like description as like how the Frem see the worms, he describes the worms as like old men of the desert. We mm-hmm. do get like an idea of like kind of reverence from the Frem men have for like these wild makers, especially since these guys are a lot older than these little ones they breed in the in the in the little caves and stuff. I expect like the I feel like worms do grow pretty old because like there's no way that like. They seem like to be such older creatures, and they wouldn't refer to them old men of the desert that grow for like hundreds of years. I feel like, mm-hmm. like their mm-hmm. characterization is as wise and like wise old men, and like almost one with the desert in a way. Like they, they're like the speakers of the desert. Like it's how the desert speaks to you, teaches you, and kind of reprimands you through these sandworms. Mm-hmm. And like on the contrary, however, we see kind of Paul's perspective in his like internalization of what the worms are in the internal monologue he calls to them as like a lovely monster and like commands them to like, come up out of the ground right it's almost like referring to them as like a fear to be conquered like he's calling it to come out so you can face it and i'm just not sure if other fremen like stilgar kind of connotate and see the worms in the same way that paul does but at least we could at least we could be happy that paul is also feeling the jitters before he goes through this massive test of his mm-hmm. right Honestly, this scene remind for some for whatever reason it reminded me of the scene when Fade called the Baron old monster. Oh, except oh. Paul they called the, the worms a lovely monster. Hmm. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, that that's an interesting parallel. I never thought of that. Yeah. But I mean it really just shows that the the contrast in personalities between Paul and Fade, I guess. Different coming of ages between mm-hmm. Paul and Fade Routh. Well, I mean, we don't know if Fade Routh has come of age yet. He's still acting like a like a little child right yeah <laughs> yeah but um but that that's really interesting i'm glad you pointed that out um mm-hmm. yeah and now we get to the moment you guys have been waiting for so paul is currently in the process of riding the worm and i'll read from the passage so you guys can get a better idea of what's going on the wave lifted his feet surface dust swept across him he steadied himself his world dominated by the passage of that sand clouded curving wall that segmented cliff the ring line sharply defined in it Paul lifted his hooks, sighted along them, leaned in. He felt them bite and pull. He leaped upward, planting his feet against the wall, leaning out against the clinging barbs. This was the true instant of the testing. If he had planted the hooks correctly at the leading edge of a ring segment, opening the segment, the worm would not roll down and crushing and crush him. So this is some pretty exciting stuff. Um, the event still has a life or death element to it. But you can feel the exhilaration that Paul's going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Paul's putting into practice what we saw in previous episodes or previous chapters. He's hooked onto the ring segment of the worm, and he's pulling it outwards to expose the sensitive inside flesh. Uh, and the worm will twist away um, towards so to kind of put that flesh as far away from the sand as possible to prevent sand from getting in and uh, being abrasive and all of that. So it's really just, I guess, a discomfort that the worm has, mm-hmm. but the Fremen have found it and made use of it. So, 
I mean, yeah, sand is really annoying. I kind of also hate sand, especially mm -hmm. when I have cuts and yeah. like cuts and open wounds on myself. This is so. just imagine, you know, like they're putting sand in your shoes or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> sand just... in your eyes, to be honest. Oh, that would That's be terrible honestly too. more accurate. Yeah. yeah, or yeah. Maybe, well, maybe not in your eyes because like the worms, you know, but I mean, maybe just you know, putting sand like down your back or something. That's just ugh disgusting mm. yeah um, also yeah, like so. herbert kind of like wrote this like this kind of step-by-step -step guide and it just feels so like clean so clear-cut to us right as reader but like, we also must like give credit to paul because it's actually super hard because yes paul's hooks can probably latch onto the worm segments but the thing is he needs to hook onto a very particular spot to like the leading edge of a ring segment in order to be successful and he has to do all this while the worm is moving at however many kilometers per hour, rising out of the ground, like the sand is being sucked in around his feet, and just like the crazy loud abrasive noise, and just like the spice filled air, like everything is going on, and he has to get that one sweet spot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's oh, that's just pretty crazy though. I mean, this whole this whole worm riding thing. I don't. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's nice that he made it really clear how it's going happening though. Mm -hmm. Like a right. good image in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. But once Paul, you know, successfully rides this worm, there he shows a lot of maturity. Uh, he's not giving into his pride and and the moment, right? Instead, he's doing the logical thing by remembering that there's a kilometer's worth of death beneath him, so he needs to be a, a little Ooh. bit careful, otherwise he'll be uh, added to that kilometer's worth of death. Yeah. Um, but I'm really impressed that he hasn't been caught up by the crazy high expectations placed on him. Um, by showing off that he successfully completed the test, you know, like taking his arms off the hooks or whatever, yeah. just standing up, shouting whoop, you know. <laughs> it's just all these things that, you know, you would normally expect a hero to do, but he doesn't do it just due to the fact that he, he can keep all these things uh, in check. Yeah. I agree. It's also like, it is nice to see Paul not really give in to his, emperor-like feeling so the book did mention he did feel pride because but like everyone feels pride whenever they overcome such a big accomplishment but the important part was that while paul did feel like he was the emperor of arrakis for a second you know like seeing in the desert and everything he didn't give into it he exercised some self-restraint and i definitely think that paul could in a way do all like the crazy tricks and like mentioned by Stilgar that other younger fremen have done like because like obviously he's gifted like he's got like the insane like time slowing hyper analytical computing powers of a mentat but the thing is like he chooses not to do so which reveals in a way he's much less impulsive now like now that he's like i don't know how many years older from the start of the book but i remember in the beginning like when he met like the reverend mother and all he was much more like prideful in his family lineage and much more impulsive and much more like challenging of authority in a way yeah he's three to four years older we see yeah. a lot of change. Like he went through, like he really like went to like puberty or something. But like for emotions, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, bro has a child, so like he kind of needs oh, to yeah. get get a bit more mature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's responsible for someone else now. He's not just you know messing with himself. Now he'd be messing with a child. So mm -hmm. it's it's time he starts getting everything together. Yeah, that's just something I don't completely understand as to why he had a child so early in his life because. Mm -hmm. I mean, Isn't that just extra take, burden for him? Yeah, it's just more work for him considering he's the Muad'Dib and the chosen uh, one. So why he needs to look out for his wife and his child now instead of just his yeah. wife now. Or uh, I guess you're his mate. Yeah. I don't know, guys. Maybe Paul just got caught in the throes of love. You know, it's almost yeah. Valentine, Valentine's Day this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is almost Valentine's Day. Yeah, what a, yeah. What a Valentine's Day conversation we're having. Yeah. 
don't have kids guys just kidding <laughs> whoa, <laughs> whoa whoa well we we never said that um okay so uh, we're looking for a new uh podcast hosts um whoa, no. <laughs> i yes. mean he's already got gotten a, a bunch of girls for himself anyway yeah so yeah he has plenty of other things to do than talk with us yep. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I mean, it's all okay. it's all in fun all right all right um enough enough poking at nolan um mm -hmm. anyways moving on from there so at the end of the ordeal uh stilgar says that it was very sloppy and that a 12 year old could have done it better Mm -hmm. yeah so so really here's a very valuable lesson um that we need to learn and also paul needs to learn so paul gave into his own pride by not allowing others to help him in a dangerous situation and he's too used to you know, flying solo because he's never really had anyone to rely on i think it was mentioned somewhere he doesn't really have like friends or something in and like uh around yeah <laughs> no friends no friends um but i mean he can't even really rely on his mother you know as we saw before paul you know deeply distrusts his mother now but now as a member of the fremen he has all these warriors to support him active fail saves if something goes wrong and um, even though Paul's, you know, ridden the worm and technically he's a Fremen now, there's still a lot he needs to learn about Fremen culture, uh, which includes teamwork. And, you know, that's something we also need to learn, you know, is just not to rely on yourself when when it's just, you know, it, it feels so dire, right? But you feel, yeah. you know, oh, I have to push through it on my own. But that's not true. You know, there's people out there to support you. Um, and that's, you know, something we need to know and something Paul needs to know. And as Stilgar puts it um, very eloquently, Remember that we work together. That way we're certain. Mm -hmm. That reminded no me of the quote, apes together strong. <laughs> well, yeah, not, not quite as eloquent, but uh, it, gets the point, it gets the point across. Mm -hmm. So when Stogar says that Paul did a very sloppy job, instead of getting angry, Paul actually swallows his pride and apologizes. And this scene is very impactful because we can finally see all the character growth that's happened up until this point. And... We know that if this happened near the beginning of the book, I'm sure he would have shot straight back at Stilgar and probably argued against him. But now he understands that he was in the wrong. And mm -hmm. I also really like the scene because it puts a shred of humanity in Paul, who we thought was the, this perfect being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just nice to see Paul admitting fault. So it's clearly <laughs> hard for him considering that. You know, he was angry with the for a full minute, even with all the Ben Jester training, which is supposed to allow you to control every aspect of your body, including your emotions, right? So mm -hmm. it's yeah. clear, you know, from that, that Paul still has a lot of pride. But, I mean, given that he got angry, even though Stilgar was right, it's kind of petty. But, I mean, his humility has improved, I think, which is good. Um, good for him. Sure. <laughs> also, I do think, however, that Paul saw some importance in him nailing, like, riding the Maker on the first try. Because, like... Okay, other than the obvious fact of like him dying if he failed the first time, because like he was just like been crunched or something. But uh, firstly, like the Fremen are getting restless because all these young Fremen are becoming more and more capable, and they're waiting for Paul to really assume leadership among all the tribes, factions, and sieges, which is why they need him to ride the Maker right correctly. Secondly, it's also like mentioned later on in the internal monologue of Paul that he kind of wants to sand rise because kind of see his son and his family down to southern sieges so you know family issues thirdly paul is slightly egotistical in a way because right now he's just like thinking of every single move that he makes and like 
they're all legend defining, you know. So like knowing that he is a OP protagonist, he doesn't want like an embarrassing mark on his relatively clean track record of accomplishments. So there's a yeah. lot of external factors as well in this entire thought mm-hmm. process of making the maker like writing the maker correctly. So he doesn't want to leave a black mark on his resume, basically. <laughs> he's like failed the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just you know you fail a course and retake it, and it shows up on your transcript kind of thing. I mean, that's sort of a contrast to like the epigraph because. In his epigraph, you kind of wanted to show the truth, but now he just wants to make sure there's nothing on his uh, record. Yeah, no block stains, yeah. indeed. <laughs> and right after this event, Paul actually attempts writing the maker again, and this time he does everything perfectly and gets the approval of Stilgar. And mm-hmm. I guess it wouldn't be a chapter about Paul if we didn't see him do something extraordinary. So I'm glad he got his redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, it's just, there's just some cool moments in here, I feel like, that I wanted to point out. Um, there's this cool Fremen traditional language that I don't think we've seen before. I'm not sure if it's yeah, Jacosa it. or anything, but... Um, so, Paul calls out Akayo, right? Um, which, Ak means left turn, and Hayo commands the steersman to action. It's really interesting because it's not like oh. he's just extending the word high. I, like, Googled it, and I'm pretty sure... You know, the it's actually, you know, you have to say, like, elongate the word high, right? So, yeah, I think that's just really interesting. So that kind of commands the steer man. And the word gerat, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, or gerat, I don't know. But it means no straight clue. ahead. Yeah, no clue. I didn't Google these pronunciations. Um, if someone wants to send me yeah, some I was audio file of them of them uh, pronoun- <laughs> pronouncing it you know oh yeah i see what you mean but um <laughs> but if someone wants to send us a video clip or an audio clip of y'all pronouncing it uh feel free but that means straight ahead so uh-huh. yeah so left turn straight ahead it sounds like he's you know piloting a ship right so i mean so paul's commanding the steersmen who are helping paul to steer the worm so i mean i can't help but see paul commanding his jihad in a similar way right so uh-huh. oh yeah I definitely get that vibe. Like, I know he's trying uh-huh. not to be, like set off jih- the jihad, but in a certain way, the amount of control that he's exhibiting right now yeah. kind of like puts us off. Yeah, and even later he mentions something like, "Oh, I have to retain my control over these people," and mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what Jessica wants you to do. So I oh, don't. Well. I mean, Paul's a rebellious child. Um, you know, I don't think he wants to do exactly what his mother tells him to do. Uh-huh. But also, like, uh, I, I feel like I don't think Paul actually wrote the second maker in this chapter, however. I kind of read the this portion as kind of Paul writing the same, like, maker, but then Stilgar telling Paul to show him how to handle a maker, right? So then Paul is, like, handling, like, the maker kind of like how he's, like, a captain of a ship, and as a captain, he calls out orders to the crewmates to steer the big ship in various ways, aka, like, lowering the sails, turning the sail into the wind, adjusting the rudder, etc. So in a way, it kind of reminds me that like, Herbert still kind of tied his entire doing experience with the juxtaposition of him constantly comparing the experiences in the Iraqi desert to experiences on the ocean, basically. Like, they're still like, <laughs> like they're basically still on a big ship, you know, like it's weird. Mm-hmm. Getting yeah. ocean vibes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> I can see what you mean, yeah. Beach boy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a also, surfer. Like, 
Oh uh-huh, yeah, I was like he's just surfing these sands. Honestly, know. that that's what I imagined though. When you know you see the wave of sand cresting up, you just uh-huh. see Paul, you know, Paul and standing on a little surfboard, sand just riding that wave. Paul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like now we see like exchange between Stilgar and Paul, we are able to pick up more anatomy of the sandworm. So we obviously know that the sandworms are made out of like segments and like mm-hmm. they're pretty big, round. But we now learn that they also have this thing called scales on them. And initially, I was kind of surprised because I didn't take I didn't take them as like fishies, but I guess they are kind of like fishy in a way. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it, it depends on what definition of fishy you're going for, but yep, uh, I don't think but, the, yeah. the ocean fishy, but <laughs> but yeah, like the scales also like are vary in size and depending on what side of the worm you're on. So we learned that the bottom side of the worm, where it doesn't rub that much against the sand, the scales are bigger, heavier, and smoother. So like I kind of imagine like a pebble, you know, like a like a river like smooths out like a pebble i kind of thought about it like oh that. like the ones where you skip across the water yeah like the flat rocks but then like on the top side of the warm i think it varies depending on warm size i'm just a little unsure if it's like bigger or smaller than like the bottom segment scales because according to the book it says top scales could be towed by size alone on a big warm so i just don't know if that's definitive like bigger or smaller it just it's kind of inconclusive mm-hmm. yeah i think that he meant top skills were smaller because he said bottom skills grow larger heavier and smoother so yeah um, so i'm assuming that the top skills since they're not i guess rubbed against as much they're not as abraded so they don't you know grow bad it's just like you know you don't exercise your muscles so they don't grow bigger right so i mean right. so i'm that's i'm it's it's still really interesting though that the worms have this directionality. They don't just you know twist and arbitrarily spin in the sand. They actually yeah. they they you don't have see them top. twisting. They actually have a top. Yeah. So if you can find where that top is, you know you're not going to get rolled over on. Oh, it's like right? Ender's Game where it's just like where's like that way is up, right? Oh yeah, the, oh, yeah. the enemy's gate is down. It's so famous. No, <laughs> yeah, it's so famous. I I can see that. That's funny. Mm-hmm. And Paul here officially becomes a sand rider and. He decides their next destination is to go 20 thumper south, like we've been told in the previous chapters, but he makes it official now. And he's quite well aware of the bloodless of the Fremen, but he already says that he's raided with the Fadekin, and he, he thinks that they need time to relax and reflect upon themselves because they're just way too boiled up and they just want to fight everything right now. I don't know, guys. Maybe Paul just wants a vacation. Like he's got a child to see, you know, <laughs> he needs family time. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's, he seems like a family guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What okay. else does Paul need family time for? Hmm. We'll find uh-huh. out. Mm. Hey yo. I don't oh, know. Oh. But oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> enough with that for this episode. Uh-huh. Okay. Now we get to my quote of the week, which is, "And I am a fremen born this day here in the Haibayan Erg. I have had no life before this day. I was as a child until this day." So this is basically what. Ponto Stilgar after he successfully ridden the worm. And this quote really resonated with me because Paul had kind of just undergone this big milestone in his life. And for us humans, we also have some pretty big milestones as well. Or we should, I guess, depends on the individual maybe. Because for example, to me at least, anniversaries like, you know, like one month, two months, three months, like a lot mm. of these anniversaries aren't super important to me personally. Yeah. But obviously other people, like, you know, they're probably important to other people. But like, there's some, there are some milestones that are probably agreeable by everyone's importance, such as, um, you know, graduating high school, going to college, getting married. They're pretty big life changing milestones mm, and moments right. of your life. 
And Paul just had one of these moments, you know? Like, and the thing is, like, these points are so influential upon a person that when you hit these markers and fully assume your new role in this in these contexts, you kind of just start an inevitable new chapter in your life. Like, the old has to be recycled out and you just have to, like, redefine yourself and, like, you just become a new person in a way, kind of. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean... It's just kind of an interesting transition between the old and the new because Paul's, we know he's always been powerful. I mean, it's just now somewhat formal, I guess. Um, I mean, it's like some genius going to college and getting degree. I mean, yeah, the degree formalizes that, you know, may, well, I mean, maybe it won't formalize he's a genius, but it'll formalize he's qualified. But I mean, everybody knew he was smart anyway. So that degree is just, you know, a formality. And we'll yeah. we'll see in future chapters what Paul does with this new leverage, I suppose, because everybody knew, you know, what he was capable of, but now he's he has the creds, you know. Yeah. Something else is just like something else I wanted to read was this dialogue between uh Stilgar and Paul that I found really funny because Stilgar was just like not quite a child. Stilgar said he fastened a corner of his hood where the wind was whipping it. But there was a cork sealing off my world, and that cork has been pulled. That's what Paul said. And Stilgar was like, there is no cork. So like, <laughs> Paul's trying really hard to be like a poet, you know? Like He's trying to spew all these wise words for the scribe to write down so that he looks cool in the history books. And Stilgar over here is just like, nope, not a child. And they're like, <laughs> nope, there is no cork. And yeah. Paul's like deadpan face, just like decides to move on with no further comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul's metaphors kind of fall flat. <laughs> they're... They're, they seem a bit forced now that I think about it and read it carefully, right? But, I mean, Stilgar makes a point. This test, again, was only formality to appease those Fremen doubters, you know, those haters. Uh-huh. Yeah, those, those people that never believed in Paul, and Paul's just proving those haters wrong. You know, you go, Paul, right? But, I mean, everybody knew what Paul is capable of. I mean, they, they know he's has, he has the weirding way, you know, and everything. He even took out Jamis, and everybody saw that fight. So everybody, you know has some degree of respect for him it's just now that now they can't deny him right but i still think it's pretty funny how he tried to be like dr seuss or some famous poet and then he just got called out by stilgar <laughs> yeah this uh, is still like no no yeah none of that play no 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 yeah no wordplay here <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not on my watch <laughs> yeah not as long as i'm alive which is not for very long but <laughs> anyways also, as Paul is writing this sandworm, he kind of notices Stilgar studying him. And Stilgar is just, like, recapping over Paul's rise to fame and power. Because, like, initially, he was saved by Stilgar himself. Do you remember that when they were about to, uh, when they first found Paul and Jessica, they were going to let Paul die and only save Jessica on their first encounter. Because there's, like, Jessica's these weirding ways. And, like, who's this little child? You know, like, he doesn't have the voice. He doesn't. He can't know the fight. And like Paul's abilities were only kind of like half developed compared to Jessica's, so we just like such a big turnabout has happened since like that time, and just like now we see Paul holding more influence and more power among the Fremen now. So like tables have turned on Stilgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially after that ritual, Paul's now fully expected to call out Stilgar, and um, mm-hmm. they have the pretty cold and calculated public conversation here i want to talk about so they're debating whether to go south they're debating whether to call it a gathering and you know stilgar is assuming that if he calls a gathering that paul will call him out and stilgar will die right stilgar knows that he cannot stand against paul um 
though Paul is feigning control and certainty, he's focused on other things such as this, what he calls the time storm ahead. I mean, it's not very clear, but I'm assuming it's some other nexus, I guess a checkpoint of sorts, you know, checkpoint past. I can't see past it. Yeah. um, So something you can't see past, right? But I mean, Paul doesn't want to call it Stilgar, but nobody else knows that, and they wouldn't believe him anyways. So Paul is really fighting a, a uphill battle here. Um, there's not really a good alternative for him because, you know, Stilgar is expecting Paul to call Stilgar. All those young men are expecting Paul to call Stilgar. Shawnee, I think, is even expecting Paul to call Stilgar, right? So, um, so I mean... But Paul, you know, has his own motivations, but it's not very believable to people. So unless he makes himself very clear um, in some way that'll make a stick in the Furman's heads, uh, he'll be, you know, constantly pressured to call out Stilgar. And, yeah, um, all these expectations yeah. are just going to pile on him, and then he has to make it clear where the line is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I mean, it's it's in Furman culture to fight for the leadership, and nobody expects anything different here. But as Paul says, they do not know how it is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to note that, like, throughout the entire exchange, however, just, like, Stilgar was ready to accept the fate that Paul may have to kill him. Like, Stilgar is ready. Because, like, mm-hmm. seeing in the right context, it is, like, revealed that Stilgar's relationship with the old leader of Tabar Siege, like, they were friends, you know? Like, they were comrades in battle. They both shared immense life and death trust into each other. Yet, like, Stilgar's rise to Tabar Siege's leadership was still very bloody, despite them, like, knowing each other really well. And um, he described two scenarios of how someone becomes the leader, right? Either the current leader killed the predecessor, or the current leader slew all the other challengers that came to challenge the leadership position when the predecessor dies in the desert. Uh, assuming since Stilgar was the predecessor's friend, I'm hoping that it was a latter option, so... I think he just like killed everyone else that came to challenge the throne, basically. Um, mm. And like Stilgar, seeing as how restless everyone else else is, like, especially the younger Fremen, he kind of like, and also like he doesn't plan on dying suddenly. Um, I think he's kind of just like resigned to the fact that like Paul and him are gonna have to clash swords, you know, clash Chris knives, and like it's gonna be inevitable, you know, like Fremen Cole just carrying him this right. way, and like it's gonna be a one v one. It's like, man, I don't want to, but like. I might just have to, you know, it just has yeah. to be like that. They it's not a choice. Not, they might not leave him a choice, even though, yeah. Yeah. And in a way, this entire exchange between him and Paul is just like Paul venting, like his, I guess this is like them venting their frustration that like fate has like potentially pushed them in this direction and that, like that might sour their relations toward each other. Like it's just venting, I guess. Like this Right, exchange. right. When they're just like kind of, they were doing fine before, but now that they're just, going off at each other a little bit it's just made the relation a bit worse mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but yeah. i think paul does something really smart here and he says that he swore his loyalty to stilgar when he consecrated the fatican and i think he said that to put stilgar at ease mm-hmm. and, and stilgar responds to this by saying my quote of the week usul the companion of my siege him i would never doubt stilgar said but you are paul muadib the atreides duke and you are the least in al Gaib." The voice from the outer world. These men, I don't know. So, I mean, in a way, he does. He is at ease a little bit more. But at the same time, he also says that he doesn't really know Paul. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying that I trust you with my life, but I I don't completely understand you. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't even know if Stilgar can trust him with his life anymore because eventually Paul might be the one who has to take that. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just... 
Stilgar's just really showing that, you know, even though they bonded together so closely and now that Paul is a Fremen and, and everything. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just still sort of, there, there's some gap between them, you know, there's, they, they carry themselves. There's like a slight aura of difference, um, that they'll never really be able to cover up because, you know, Paul is not from this world. And we have to remember that no matter how Fremen he seems, no matter how many worms he's ridden, you know, no matter how blue his eyes are, um, there he's, he's, he's all, child. yeah, he's a Duke's child. Um, one of the most powerful, you know, houses, great houses, right? Well, no longer, but once was, mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. he's, you know, quite, he has quite the prophecy and quite the expectation behind him. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not exactly, you know, they're, they're not on the same level. Um, not saying that Stilgar is below pole, um, but more that they're on totally different planets almost. Yeah. Right. And in a, in a way, Stilgar is sort of below Paul in terms of potential. Cause mm-hmm. right now Stilgar has hit his peak. He's the leader of the Fremen. He's the strongest out of all of them. But now that Paul is here, who's showing almost limitless amounts of potential, he's kind of getting put on the backseat at this point a little yeah yeah definitely something else that we also see is like lucky for chani you know because chani is not gonna have to make this a tough choice because the only time that she was brought up in this entire chapter was in this tense moment between the two of them you know and herbert was just like she looked from stilgar her uncle to paul muadib her mate you know it was a tough choice. Like, who would she support in this life, like, battle, battle to the death, like, 1v1 between Paul and Stilgar? Like, family or husband? I don't know. Well, not husband, I guess, but mate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd like to. Th- yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just the true test of faith, in my opinion. I mean, I'd like to. I'd like to see Shawnee stick with Paul here, um, just because, uh, you know, just just do the fact that Paul's our protagonist, but also, you know, it's hard not to feel bad for Stilgar in this case. Stilgar raised her, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and it's just just all, you know, the the chips are stacked against him, really. There's nothing really going for Stilgar at this point um, other than to await his death, right? I mean, I wonder why there's no formal surrender of power, you know, because I, I I read earlier, you know, that uh all the fremen you know you have to kill the previous leader to take power or you have to you know battle among the strongest if there's no like previous leader so i mean isn't that just a waste of potential like you know imagine all of our greatest generals fighting to become president or something you know it's just not it doesn't make any sense right i mean you're just wasting so much talent yeah, like you get you do get like the strongest one, but at the same time, like you lose so many. I mean, you can keep the strongest one and everyone else who is like one percent less uh-huh. strong. Right? Yeah. So, so I, don't, like, I thought that was interesting because you know why don't they? Why doesn't Stilgar just surrender power and then Paul takes it and everyone everything's chill, right? So um, I don't know. It's just the Fremen way of life. Maybe they expected. Yeah. Maybe if if they were had like a formal abdication abdication of power, then. Maybe there would be some grudges left behind and mm-hmm. they might try to assassinate the current leader. Yeah, or something. you're right. I was thinking that too, you know, if there's anything left yeah. behind, right? If it, if their political opponents are not totally dead, it would, could lead to political instability, which is something that Fremen can't afford. But you yeah. just need like the we, we defi- know. definitive, you know, like the definitive is they're dead. <laughs> yeah. And something that happens is that they run into a Thopter and mm-hmm. they're not really sure what it's doing so deep in the desert. But it looks like it isn't Harkonnen, so that's a relief. But mm-hmm. it they figure out that it's a smuggler Thopter. And 
I wonder if this is when we'll get our first encounter between Paul and Gurney after such a long time. Because that would yeah. be quite the nice reunion. Me too. I'm excited to see if you know they investigate this doctor with Doctor Lance. I know they don't want to be seen, but like if there's Gurney in it, you know, it'd be pretty cool, Herbert. <laughs> Just saying. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I wanted to duly note here that Paul is actually the one who is the most worried about how deep the Order Doctor is in the Southern Desert, because he's the one who's like, "Oh no, what are the smugglers doing here? Like this is kind of deep for them." In fact, like Stilgar is kind of the one, even though he's fremen you know to defend the craft and like the smugglers being where they are because he's like hey paul you know like the smugglers also struggle under the harkonnens like maybe they're hiding out here too like i mean like we're hiding out here like so like, maybe they're just like taking taking our advice you know so it's just like really weird to me where like paul the off-worlder is like not defending off-world people instead still guard who is usually like we take him as like the defender of like fremen people you know it's like here defending these off-worlders Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that the smugglers and the Fremen have more in common than we think because both pretty much just rely on secrecy and fooling the Harkonnens. So, yep. I mean, there's not much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh -huh. But, I mean, again, you know, there's not as much in common, in, in, I guess, in terms of morality and all of that. But at least on paper, they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty at similar. At least on paper, they have a similar, like, way of life, avoiding mm -hmm. Harkonnens and Indeed. hiding from the guild. Yep. Oh, something that I wanted to note as like just like as they were hopping off the worms is like when Paul was just like first up, last off to steel guard. It was just like it played even more into the captain of the ship metaphor, where it's like the captain goes down with the ship because they're always the last ones to leave the boat, basically, when like it's capsizing. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. really funny to me. Cause Paul was like, let me take a responsibility like putting the worm away, even though it's dangerous, you know. It's like Mm -hmm. He started it and now he's capping it off. Yeah, yeah. Paul's got that Mamba mentality. You've got to be the first one on the court and the last one off. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, now that you say that, you know. Well, I was I was thinking, you know, with Captain of the Show, I was thinking of, like that Titanic captain, you know, who was oh, yeah. yeah. just well, I mean, like, like, standing in the in the wheelhouse, you know, just just ready for his death. And uh, well here, you know, Paul's not dying, but I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, so Anyway, so we end the chapter off with Paul concocting a plan to catch the smugglers. So they'll use patches of spice as bait. And when the smugglers come down to harvest the spice, the Fremen will jump them. Um, it's very deserty, I suppose. Um, so Paul gives two reasons for this. One, the smugglers may give away information that they can't afford the Harkonnens to have, such as their ongoing, you know, greenery plan, you know, terraforming. Yeah, it's the, it's the EPA getting involved. Um, yeah. and, uh, so that's one, and that's also why they're paying the spacing guilds so they can't allow the smugglers to, uh, jeopardize that. And two, the Fremen need practice with their new weapons that I, I suppose Paul and Jessica gave them. And, um, this also leads into my quote for, for the week, uh, which goes, now Usul speaks, Stilgar says, Usul thinks Fremen. So there's a lot of approval and finality in Stilgar's words. So he's recognizing that he and Paul, you know, maybe politically now they're equals. And uh, Paul has not adopted not just the Fremen lifestyle, but also the thinking style. Even though he comes from a totally different background, you know, he's still managed to adapt himself very well. That's someone not super attuned to the differences between, you know, Fremen and normal human would, uh, would, wouldn't really be able to tell. Um, 
Uh, and a lot of the second and third book have been Paul and Jessica working their way through and into the Fremen culture. So now that even the name Stilgar himself has approved, um, it's basically definite that Paul has successfully completed his transition, um, even though there's still some kinks to be ironed out, right? He's done the bulk of the work now and yeah, smooth sailing basically ahead. Fremen. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So on that note, I believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the Do Not Enter podcast. Make sure to read the halfway through chapter 43 ending on, quote, Gurney obeyed, thankful for the filters, end quote. So, and tune in next time when we discuss it. As always, thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts. Follow us on Instagram at Do Not Enter, Reddit use slash Do Not Enter, Twitter at Do Not Enter, and email us at Do Not Enter at gmail.com. That is D U N E N O T E N T E R at gmail.com. Please contact us with questions, feedback, or I dare say, um, I think I have to say the word because I messed, messed up a few pronunciation. Um, yeah. Corrections. Okay. Ugh. Ugh, I don't it's like so that word. It's so taboo at this point. Yeah, I don't like Ugh. that word. Sends shivers down my spine. Yeah. But. Yep. Um, if we made any mistakes, especially me uh, pronouncing stuff, uh, just let me know, and uh, I'll be happy to fix it. Uh, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It only takes a few seconds of your time. Um, of course, uh, go and make an account, and then click the five-star button because that's the only one that exists you know, after you get to our show, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also leave a nice comment or two if you're able to. Uh, it just helps us... Uh, get our podcast up the charts and to a wider variety of listeners. But on a more personal note, it lets us know that we're doing a good job and motivates us to create new, more content and better content for you guys. So uh, it would be very much appreciated. Otherwise have a great week and we will see you all back very soon. See you guys. Bye guys.